This is the second installment of our two-episode series on recognizing and exiting toxic whiteness. So in the first installment, we recognized very early on that this would be a longer conversation because there was just so much to unpack and there were a couple of relevant tangents that we really didn't want to leave on the cutting room floor. So please enjoy part two of Gotta Go, Gotta Leave, Exiting Toxic Whiteness. Greetings and what's good, everybody. Welcome to the Christian Soldier Podcast, a social justice, faith-minded podcast featuring three friends from across the diaspora exploring life at the intersection of race, ethnicity, gender, culture, politics, and basically living while black. I'm Abdullah Muhammad. I'm Andres Amador. And I'm Justina Kinyi. And we are just three POC in the cornfield, living life, loving Jesus, and fighting the good fight in these rough and tumble podcast streets. So um, we should we should really we've been in this conversation for a while, and I want to I want to move us forward a little bit. So right. So how do you know um, if you're in a white supremacist toxic whiteness space like that, like a church or um, a workplace or if you're having a conversation with a friend, how do you know when that conversation is toxic, unhealthy, um, when it's when it's hostile, and when it's time mm-hmm. to how you know when it's time, when it's time to bounce? For, um, I think in the church environment, I think it's is difficult because, like we said, before, like we said, we mentioned, oh, this can't be race, this can't be race. Well, in the church environment too is, well, this can't be happening at church. Wow. This is not supposed to, Mm -hmm. you know, this doesn't happen at church. So for some folks, it could take a long time before you get there. So I think, I think for, for the other environments, it's a little bit easier. I think we mentioned that intuition I mean, how many conversations can you have with your friend, quote unquote, and you don't feel safe? Mm-hmm. You don't feel comfortable. You're made to feel, or or you're made to feel dumb. You're made to feel stupid. Wow. You, you know, yeah. you're you're harmed constantly, right? So I I, I make a, I make that distinction. In the church environment, when it's when it's time to leave, is when you have that awareness. You have mm-hmm. you you have the awareness of what truly what toxic is, um, and you have and you have a sense of what whiteness is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So once you get those two, once once you know the definition, and you uh, know inside of you what that what that feels. Mm-hmm. Once you get there, then I, I think it's just obvious that you're you're leaving. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. How about you, Jay? You know, I would say <laughs> I really believe in getting, you know, there's a, I think it's in the book of Proverbs and I forget what chapter and verse it is, but there is wisdom in a multitude of counsel, right? So I really believe in maybe even like talking to some of your really close friends in those spaces and maybe kind of interrogating their own experiences. So if you're a person of color 
and you maybe work at a company, kind of just ask them, hey, like, what has your experience been here, right? Because you might actually find out that other people might be enduring the same things that you are. Um, and you might even maybe get some comfort from kind of having those conversations. Mm -hmm. So I would, I would encourage people like, again, depending on the spaces that you're in and the kinds of relationships that you have built there, yeah. do not feel like you have to kind of navigate these things alone, right? So perfect example, if I was going through something at my workplace with a friendship, I would reach out to Abdul or Andres and be like, hey, what do y'all think about this? You know, like, am I, am I like overthinking this? Am I, you know, like what's going on? So I think definitely kind of reaching out to other people, I think is very, very helpful. Then I think, honestly, if you cannot be yourself and if the biggest thing that people are, are trying to change about you is your, is your culture, the way you think, your ethnicity, your race, you know, and we're going to talk about race in the future and that it's a social construct. I would say you need to leave mm -hmm. because you want to be in a space where you can be yourself. Mm -hmm. You want to be in a place where you can fully express who you are as authentically as you can get. So, yeah. So, um, I think for me, how I would answer that question is, so let's say for example, in a, in a workplace, right? One way that you know that, that whiteness is that you have toxic whiteness, um, is that there is, there is no discussions of culture whatsoever. Mm. And, yeah. and that, so here's, here's how I know that, for example, in my agency, here's how I know that it's toxically white. When I hear, or when there are conversations that happen, for example, in my office or from colleagues or whatever, when, when they whisper a racial term, if they're talking all of a sudden and they go, <laughs> and you know, she, you know, they were black or <laughs> something like that, head for the hills, right? So that's one way. Um, and I know, so if I'm talking to some of my black colleagues and mm -hmm. they don't say the word out loud and they just point to their skin when they're talking about, you Ooh, know, us yeah, yeah. or, you know what I mean? or like yeah. point to their, their hand or their wrist. Um, that's how, you know, another way, another way that, you know, I think in this moment of protests and black lives matter and uh, the murder of George Floyd and the murder of Breonna Taylor and the murder of Ahmaud Arbery and just the steady drumbeat of the execution, the public executions of people of color. Mm -hmm. If, if your leadership, if your boss, if mm -hmm. your executive board or your team or your, your elder board or whatever, if those people aren't taking a moment to pause, to first recognize, so in the workplace, if your boss isn't coming to you saying, hey, I know there's some crazy things happening. I just wanted to check in and see how you're doing. Oh, yes. Right? I, you know, I just, you know, because... Yeah. So if, if they're not coming to that, you know, and if you're not checking in, let's say, for example, you know, I have a pretty big staff. If you're not checking in with your staff to just mm -hmm. see how they're doing, period, mm -hmm. there's no way you're going to check in with them about ethnic, like ethnic and racial matters. Right. Yeah. So 
so so so if you're if you're if you're not checking in with your people or if you're you know if you're an employee in a space and no one's checking in with you and mm-hmm. then when this stuff is happening and you know a lot of us with you know, at the beginning of this thing with George Floyd and everything, we just felt some kind of way and we were just all out of sorts. Mm-hmm. If nobody came to come see about you, yeah, that's, yeah. A, toxic, that's a toxically white space. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, um, right. yep. And so, yeah. and so if you are in a church, how do you know when that place is toxically white? Just listen to the conversations around you. So I'll give mm-hmm. you three examples. One, if there are conversations about, ethnicity, race, social justice, anti-racism that are coming from the people in the congregation and mm. the people in leadership are absent of that conversation. Yeah. And if and by leadership I mean the pastors and the elders and the people who steer the direction of the ministry, if they're not involved in mm. that conversation, you have a toxically white church environment. If if mm-hmm. if they are, you know, if there are people that are talking to you about gradualism or that are telling you that these are social issues, mm-hmm. you have a toxically white environment. You know, if you have people in the congregation and um, the, 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 the pastor preaches a sermon or two or a series about justice out of the Bible, and tries to demonstrate how the idea of social justice is first and foremost a, a, um, an idea that's planted very firmly in the heart of God. And you hear somebody say something about, well, man, they're doing a lot of these, these kind of sermons or whatever. If, mm-hmm. if those conversations are happening in the atrium of the waiting area of the foyer of your church, you have a toxically white space. Mm-hmm. You know, and these things are not are not any like these aren't new things. Mm-hmm. You know, I know we're, we're we're winding down, but can I read something really quickly? Yes, sure. I want to read an excerpt from uh, Martin Luther King's "A Letter from a Birmingham Jail," and in it, which by the way he wrote on the margins of newspapers because he didn't get anything to write with. So, you know, he had a lot of time to think. So, and, you know, for our listeners, I, if you haven't read this, you can, it's, it's, you can find it anywhere online and you can even, I think, find on YouTube a recording of him reading the speech or reading the letters letter himself. But um, I promise you, if you haven't read it, you must read letter from a Birmingham jail. But one of the things he says, he says, I have heard, and this is specifically about Southern folks, or, um, but everywhere you hear Southern, replace with evangelical. Hmm. I have heard numerous evangelical religious leaders admonish their worshipers to comply. Well, I'll start with the Southern, so I'll, just, I'll leave it that way in the original text. I have heard numerous Southern religious leaders admonish their worshipers to comply with a desegregation decision because it is the law but I have longed to hear white ministers say, follow this decree because integration is morally right and because the Negro is your brother. He says, I have longed to hear that. But in the midst of blatant injustice inflicted upon the Negro, he says, I have watched white churchmen stand on the sideline and mouth pious irrelevancies and sanctimonious trivialities. 
things like, I see everybody. I love everybody. I'm not racist. I'm colorblind. I love you, brother. Let me do a, a feet washing service and wash the feet of black folks and show you that I'm not racist. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's what he means by pious irrelevancies and sanctimonious trivialities. Now, exactly. he, and he says, in the midst of a mighty struggle to rid our nation of racial and economic injustice, I have heard many ministers say those are social issues with, with, mm. with which the gospel has no real concern. And I have watched many churches commit themselves to comply or to completely otherworldly religion, which makes a, which makes a strange, unbiblical distinction between body and soul, between sacred and secular. And then he goes on, and this is this, this is the point when I left the church, a ministry that I helped us to, to plant years and years ago. Um, these were the things that were on my heart. And this is how I knew it was time to leave when I was in those toxic spaces and I just couldn't get any headway. And I was asking my my friends, I, people I considered my friends and whom I loved deeply and dearly, I would ask them one of the, you know, I said, do I have enough credibility with you to have you spend just a few hours of your life mm -hmm. absorbing some content so that we, so that you and I can have a deeper conversation. Right. That yeah. was, and so it was on the other side of a, of a, of a, so what I said in that conversation was, listen, I have, I have absorbed and read and listened mm -hmm. to everything you have asked me to absorb and read and listen for the entirety of our relationship over 20 plus years. Do I have enough credibility with you to invest seven hours over the next few weeks to absorb some content so you and I can have a follow-up conversation? Okay. Now, MLK says further, he says, um, these kind of questions referring to a previous paragraph about what kind of people worship in this church and who is their God and who are they? He says, these kind of questions are still on my, on my mind. In deep disappointment, I have wept over the laxity of the church. But be assured that my tears have been tears of love. Mm. And an mm. often quoted verse is a verse, an often quoted section is right here. There can be no disappoint, there can be no deep disappointment where there is yeah. not deep love. Yeah. Okay. And so um that was kind of the when I when I reread those words and kind of put them in context in my situation, that's when I knew it was time to go. That I was deeply disappointed and grieved in my white church friends, brothers, sisters, co-laborers at when we are talking about racial justice. First, you cannot see this as a gospel issue. Hmm. And there's nothing that anyone can say that can help you see it as a gospel issue. Mm -hmm. Then I know that I'm not safe and I'm not welcome in this space. If I'm at work and we have people being shot in the streets and protesters and everything, and, and you're not checking to see and and you say that you're about equity and you're not checking on whether or not, people are experiencing some things and just and need to take a beat. You know, if those are the environments that you're in, then I believe it's time to go. 
you don't do that in a rash way. You don't do that in a sudden mm-hmm. way. You know, right. it, it's it's it, it requires a long time of conversations and patience and that kind of thing. But mm-hmm. if after a while you are banging your head against the wall, stop banging your head. It's just time right. to go. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I and this whole time uh, with the different murders to uh, black people. I've only, and in the protest and the conversation that we're having as a country, I've only heard from two pastors mm. about this. Check it in, you know, just check it in. Wow. Like, you know, how you doing? Wow. You know, I feel uh, bad about this, but I mean, that's it. Uh, and that's, yeah, that's, that's for that. And, you know, back to what we talked about earlier, that hyper vigilance starts yes. coming in. It's like, huh, <laughs> mm. interesting. Yeah. 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 That's good. Man, that's, that's disappointing. And you know, I wonder why is it that, cause there might be maybe white, there's probably a lot of white people that are listening to this and they're wondering what does it look like tangibly, one, to not question, right? Be, mm-hmm. be, because I think like part of being human is that we're always very curious about the details, mm-hmm. right? So like, what can we say to white people that constantly find themselves questioning experiences of people of color? Yeah. Right. Do we just say, hey, just believe what they're saying. Don't question. Do we do we say that to them or like, I guess, does my question make sense? You know, like, what's the what's the solution to helping white people that really want to change? Well, I got a question, the question itself. What's the point of the question? You know, Um, so Abdul tells his told his story. Okay, let's Mm -hmm. like you know, let's reenact or whatever the word is. Mm-hmm. Abdul tell us, tells the story and the first words out of your mouth is, are you sure that's what happened? Mm-hmm. You're like, what's the point in that question? You know uh, I mean? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I think maybe I need to rephrase that a little okay. bit. If we have a listener right now who's listening to this and they're saying, you know, honestly, I'm really new to these conversations and I'm pretty unfamiliar with how racism even looks like, you know? Um, and every time, be- because I maybe grew up very isolated, I've not had a lot of conversations about race and racism with people of color. How do I not question? And so what I'm, what I'm maybe getting at is, do we just tell them, oh, just believe, you know, don't, like, don't get too curious. Don't care about the details. Just believe. Or is there a way? Or is there a way for for white people to be better equipped for those conversations? Essentially. Mm-hmm. Man, yeah. that's 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 a that's a really good question, actually. And maybe this is my evolution in this in this conversation. I don't, I don't know. Okay, I always get these confused. There's be em, empath, uh, sympathetic mm-hmm, and, versus empathetic. Yes, and I forget which is 
which is which, you know. Um, <laughs> I don't know if there's somebody who's white who's just now in 2020 starting to ask questions. Let's say there's somebody our age, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. Well, our age, Christine. Yeah. <laughs> not, not your age. Yeah. You call it Christine. <laughs> Justine. Oh, yeah. What the heck? <laughs> Justine. <laughs> um, that, let's say somebody in their late 40s is starting mm-hmm. to ask the question, right? I, I don't know. You can, you can ask the questions, of course. Mm-hmm. I don't know how quickly someone like that can internalize uh, enough to understand a response from somebody of color, mm. what the answer is. Yeah. You know, that you can, you can ask me the question and I'm going to respond. And I'm, uh, I seriously believe that we are going to have two different conversations mm, yeah. as, as I'm explaining it. Yeah. Because mm. there's no frame of reference. Yeah. There's, like there's nothing, no commonality. Yeah. There's no commonality. There's, there's, yeah. You haven't put yourself in a situation mm. where you've felt uncomfortable enough mm. times to internalize being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can go to, I don't know, you can go to Jamaica you know, <laughs> you know, and just be on vacation for a week or so, whatever. Yeah. And like, oh my gosh, I'm like, and tell the story, come back, tell the story. Oh my gosh, you know, I was like the only white person in the room and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it was weird. But, you know, you took a plane mm-hmm. and you came back home. Right, you know what I mean? Right. Most people don't understand that. Yeah. You know, so if, if, you're, if you're starting to ask, if you're starting to ask questions, I, like I would say, it's, I think it's. I think a better exercise is just to notice how you feel mm. when you're ask when you want to ask. That's good. That's really good. That's you know really what I mean? Good. Rather than yes. just asking. Yeah. So yes. if you see a news report or you see or you hear Abdul saying something and your response is anger, mm-hmm. or questioning and or, doubt. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Like. Okay, rather than asking mm-hmm. Abdul, like, oh, well, prove me this point, prove me that point, prove me this, prove yeah. me that. It's like, why am I getting angry about this? Yes. What is it about yeah. what I just read? You know, okay, I read Color of Compromise, you know, uh, or I'm reading it and I'm, I'm feeling some type of way about it. Like, why am I feeling, why is this the reaction that I'm getting? Yeah. yeah. Start yeah, there instead of yeah. going to your favorite person of color and explain this to me yes Mm -hmm. well explain what you know like how are you how are you feeling well i'm feeling such and such well you tell me why you're feeling such and such and 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 don't look don't look for that one confirmatory black person who's gonna (laughs) help you agree yeah who's gonna agree yeah so um man i know that i think dude that's that's perfect because what i was gonna i was was say was that what you for, for the person who's asking Justine's question, you start with with empathy. Mm. You know? Mm-hmm. So and I think about it this way. Um let's let's 
remove race and substitute it with something else. Let's substitute it with gender. Okay? Justine, mm-hmm. if, okay. If, if you came to Andres and I and you were explaining a situation to us where for you it was very very clearly sexist very very clearly misogynistic and it was just often wrong in so many ways mm-hmm. what do you think our response should be how would you want us to respond to that the first thing i would want you to do is to literally just listen like don't even think of how you're going to respond don't right. even think of don't just listen to what i'm saying And I think that's a huge part of empathy, as you're saying, Abdul, um, is just sitting there and listening and actually allowing yourself to feel what this other person might be feeling. Um, So I would want you to listen to affirm, you know, like affirm what I'm saying, like, hey, Justine, I hear you and I cannot even imagine how you're feeling. And I think Honestly, when white people do that in these conversations about race and racism, that helps a lot. It helps a lot. And a lot of times we're not even looking for, for an immediate answer. We're just looking for someone to share these things with. You know, we're essentially saying, hey, I trust you enough to share these things with you. I have relationship with you enough to share these things with you. So I'm welcoming you into my story. Mm, yes. So yeah, there's, there's, there's two reasons I wanted to ask you that question. One is because I wanted to just hear just, you know, from you as a woman, yeah. How, how do you interact with that concept? But two, I wanted to have the listeners understand that if you're asking that question, so your question is, well, what do I do when I hear a black person tell a story about this or that? Well, I want listeners, if you're white listening to this, I want you to understand you already know what to do. Ooh. Yeah. You you already know. Like Justine, you just described what what, what so the the blueprint is listen, empathize, affirm, just let it sit, right? And understand yeah. that yeah. you're that someone's telling you that because in some way you're being trusted. Like you might not be completely on the inside of the trust circle, but you're some in some way trusted. So you already know what to do. So the fact that you're asking or that you might be asking, well, what should I do really is a great example of white privilege or of white advantage. It's a great example mm-hmm. of there's something in your sociology that you have been taught some sort of racial helplessness. Yes. Wow. Wow. Right. So I think if you ask that question, I think what Andres says is right, is right on the money. I would ask, Mm. why are you asking the question? And it seems to me part of the reason the question is being asked is because Mm. there is some, I'm going to just call it learned helplessness. Right. Part of the sociological construction of whiteness is that I don't think about race, mm-hmm. yeah. you know? And so, I'm not equipped to even think about it. Yeah. Yes. So, so I, I think that's what, that, that's what I would say to that. I mean, there, there is, um, so to short, to shortcut your answer, Justine, yes, believe them. <laughs> right. 
Mm-hmm. Just yes. Yes. hear it, hear it and let it sit. Because what's happening is a point, a, 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 um, a moment of human interaction of almost the most intimate order. Mm. Because if you as a woman trusted us enough to tell us mm-hmm. some something of this of this experience of what it means here's how here's how you interacted with the world as a woman today in mm-hmm. this example you know mm-hmm. that that is a re, that's a moment of 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 intimacy uh, so to speak of man i'm i'm letting you into something <laughs> yeah you know and so yeah. and so i think we have to respect when that's happening mm. and that's good we as humans are, are built to interact in that way. So I think we have to just, yeah, that's, that's part of how that, how that works. Yes. Yes. Okay. Y'all. So I guess I have to ask a question because whiteness has a lot of layers to it. And we've talked about toxic whiteness, Mm -hmm. but I almost wonder when we say toxic whiteness, are we kind of repeating ourselves because can whiteness ever not be toxic? Is it possible to have whiteness that is not so. toxic? Is that I don't a think thing? So. I, yeah, I yeah, I, I think <laughs> I, yeah. What's there's a term for that? There's a term with uh, redundant. Uh, redundant. I'm oh, laughing. That's why I'm laughing because you're asking us: Is whiteness redundant? Is, <laughs> toxic whiteness. What's toxic is whiteness? Toxic whiteness redundant. Toxic whiteness is redundant. Yes. Mm. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Yeah. It is. I, I. What's a good side? Anyone? Mm. Right. Crickets. Yep. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they're there because the whole idea the whole idea of whiteness is that it's superior to everything else. Correct. And it's the norm and everything else it's is the an standard. Aberration. And everything else is just uh, it's just an other it's yeah, it's below you. Like mm. what? No. Yes. No. Mm. Yeah, whiteness is inherently toxic and therefore <laughs> I it's got to go. Concur, gotta I go. concur with you guys. No. Is is whiteness ever it's not toxic? Mm-hmm. Nah, right. Yeah. Nah. Now, great question though, because yes, no, it's it, you know, it, yeah, you don't want to minimize the question. Yeah. Because uh, because here's the thing, I never thought about it. Yeah. Well, and you, you just know, made some the, people's heads explode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because. because uh, yeah. True. <laughs> I mean, okay, so real talk, right? Because because if if you are and they probably stopped listening by now, threw the phone out the window. Who knows? but but if you have as your deep belief and identity Mm. that you are white what you just heard us say is that white people are inherently bad that's what you just heard if you believe that you are white so Mm. if that's you and you're listening i want you to hear this very loudly and clearly that's not what we just said. Right. No. Yeah. Right. right. So we are not talking, we, we are separating mm-hmm. whiteness, the, the, the sociological construction, the legal, the, the, the legal construction of what it means to be white and how you benefit from that. We're separating that exactly. from what it means to be of European descent. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Yes, yes. yes. So the story we not, made up about being from European descent, that's whiteness. That's mm-hmm. perfect. That's the story. Yes. The story that we made up. Yes. 
And so what we're telling yeah. you is that's that story is an invention mm-hmm. and it and it was an invention designed to serve a very particular, specific, a very surgical purpose. And so mm-hmm. that surgical purpose is inherently toxic. And for the religious folks, it is inherently morally, theologically evil. Mm-hmm. Evil is the right word. So, so to say one thing about the religiosity of this, if you are a person of faith, specifically if you are a Christian or a Muslim, I will tell you this. The devil made you white. Hmm. The devil made you white. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Because whiteness, the, the construction of the of the thing that benefits one and not the other goes right back to the foundation of of of, of mm-hmm. Cain and Abel and who is my brother. Okay? So yeah. a lie of the devil is what made you white. The ethnic origin that you have, whether you believe in sociology or theology. Okay, the ethnic origin that you have, that's the good stuff. Yes. That's the you're from Germany, you're from Scandinavia. Yeah, Yeah, that's the that's the God given piece. That's the anthropological piece. Mm -hmm. That's the that's the good stuff. So we're not saying that 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 you being of European descent is toxic. We're saying that you adopting this this invented political sociological reality. And you replacing that, and you replacing ethnicity with that, that's evil, that's toxic, that's wicked. Mm. Right. So because that's what the immigrants gave up. The immigrants, that's what assimilation is. It's giving up yourself to become a completely new invented thing. That's exactly what assimilation is. So mm-hmm. if you have assimilated into whiteness, whiteness is inherently toxic. Yes. And you have to walk away from it. You, mm-hmm. you have to bounce. You, reclaim yeah. your ethnicity if you're a person of European descent. Reclaim your ethnicity. That's good. We have mm-hmm. said before, Andres and I, that we are married interracially. My wife is of Czech and Irish origin or Czech and Irish and English mm-hmm. origin. So her grandparents, you know, were first generation um, from from what was then Czechoslovakia, or the Czech, it was now the Czech Republic, right? And that on her father's side, you know, her. So one of her parents was Czech, I think one was Irish, and then her mom comes from European descent, like English, right? So, and, and when we visit the Czech and Slovak museum, I'm grieved because I am, I am. I'm I'm reminded of all of the incredible richness of Czech culture that my children mm-hmm. who are ethnically let's say a uh, one third or one quarter Czech will never ever 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 get to know mm-hmm. because their grandfather my wife's dad or their aunts and uncles or you know be, be, because because my my wife's grandparents are dead now so mm-hmm. her dad and his siblings didn't didn't claim or capture any of that to the point that they passed it down to anybody. So what it means to be Czech in their family is basically dead. Wow. So mm-hmm. so I man, I just I just think 
I just think that, you know, if you're, if you're so-called white, God, you got to reclaim your ethnicity, reclaim the beauty mm-hmm. and the richness of what it means to be Norse or what it means to be Italian or whatever. Yeah. Like there, there, that's why we love traveling so much, right? When you travel, you see the beauty of culture. Mm-hmm. That's exactly why we love it. Mm-hmm. Because, because it's culture. It's not this, it's not this watered down thing called whiteness. Yes. So reclaim that. Yeah. So right. I'm sorry. I keep getting off on the thing. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all know me. Yeah. I love your stories, Abdul. <laughs> All right. So in parting, before Abdul just <laughs> takes us again on another <laughs> Abdul takes us on another story. <laughs> I will cut you. <laughs> okay. Briefly, Abdul, do we have some party words for uh yeah, for just an audience? Uh is there okay. something for, for white people or is there something for black people? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jay, how about you? You go first. I would say for white people, the first thing is you need to learn about whiteness and what that is. As Abdul said, we're not talking about white people. We're talking about whiteness, about this construct. And unless you can see it and identify it and name it in the different spheres of your life, then you're not going to know how to decolonize yourself from that. So when you want to identify what that is, then begin to take the necessary steps to separate yourself, completely separate yourself from whiteness. Right. Yeah, that's good. Anything for black people, Justine? Or Christine, I'll just start calling you Christine. From now on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where that even came from. <laughs> It's a common name. That's okay. Ooh, for black people, I would say, honestly, no one else can protect you the way you can protect yourself. And so you want to make sure that you're keeping yourself safe. You're protecting your mind, your spirit, your space, your words. So if you have been in a place where you have tried to have these conversations you have tried to make things known. You have tried to talk about race and racism and whiteness. And it just feels like you're beating a dead horse. You need to bounce. You need to bump. Because your mental sanity, your spiritual wellness is honestly more important than trying to, to have a conversation when no one else wants to meet you halfway. That's good. I would say for uh, white people is... Get, learn to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. That's not something that a lot of white people are. And uncomfortable, what I mean by that is, is I mean, put yourself in a situation where I'm not like, oh, this feels horrible and stay there. That's good. Uh, so you can have some type of reference when people of color are, are t- saying these stories. And so you can have some kind of idea. I, I think that's, that's 
more important than anything. I think a lot of these conversations, a lot of the questioning is just to release a negative emotion that they just don't want to deal with. So they just want to move on and, 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 and not have to deal with the negative feelings that they're going through right now. For people of color, I would agree with uh, what Justine is saying is, man, you got to take care of yourself. You have to know when you're in a harmful mm -hmm. situation and harmful, like what we said, is just that you can't be who you are. Right. That you have to put on a layer of something. You have to perform in some kind of way to meet that standard. Mm. If you're finding yourself in that situation, then it's, it's time to really consider uh, walking away. Your health is above everything and your mental health is above everything. Um, so that's something, and that's something, that's some medicine for me. I'm, I'm doing some self-talk right now is, yeah, I mean, what do I need to do for me? And when do you stop performing? Yeah. Um, yeah, you guys, I, I love being on this journey with the two of you. I really, really do. It's, I'm getting a huge kick out of this. Uh, I think, yeah. So what I would say, and this is brief, Andres. <laughs> we'll see. So, see, you can tell that I'm, I'm the, I'm the teacher of the bunch because I just go and go and go. But, uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> so, what I would say is just what I said before. So, so one action, one thing that if you are a a so-called and, and you, I keep saying so-called because I believe it's an invention. Mm -hmm. If you are a so-called white person, um, I would say do the work, and it's it's tandem work. So, part A is divorcing yourself from whiteness and part b is recovering your ethnicity and the richness of culture because right now very likely the culture that you have is what white culture told you that culture is so mm -hmm. i would i would all and and i would almost guarantee though i don't know you i know sociology and i know people and i know how we're how we're built in this country that the idea that you're that you have as culture is actually whiteness with some of your family cultural traditions sprinkled in so mm -hmm. divorce yourself from whiteness and recover ethnicity um and the divorcing yourself from whiteness part will be the hardest part because it's a paradigm shift. It's a worldview shift. You will go through the five stages of grief. I almost guarantee it. Mm. And so when Andres talks about being uncomfortable, that's part of the discomfort. You have to be willing to go through those five stages of grief. Right. So, um, I think that's the that's the parting kind of the thing. So now that's an ongoing process. So that's not going to be solved by <laughs> the next episode or whatever. But that's where you like you start by letting it sit. What are all the ways that I have believed that I'm white? You can ask yourself that mm -hmm. question. Mm -hmm. What are all the ways that my family has given up their ethnic culture and heritage and traditions? So 
if for the person of color, I would reiterate exactly what what you guys just said. Uh, man, take care of yourself. If you feel like something is a gaslight, it probably is. If you feel like it's time to go, leave. Leave, leave on your terms. If you're leaving a job, right. if you're leaving, if you're leaving um, uh, a church space or a friend group or whatever, but leave on your terms. Don't let them kick you out. Do not give them that satisfaction. <laughs> you know, don't let right. them fire you and whatever. Right? Leave on your terms. Make a make a strategic planned exit, but know that you're leaving because this place is no longer healthy for my mind, body, and soul and spirit. Because, because you will find, and this is why we as black folks love hanging out together, you will find no better places than among some of your kinsmen in the flesh that will help with with, with your soul care. But you have to start with you first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Was that brief enough? That was perfect. Still pretty long, but <laughs> Still pretty long. you're getting God, there, I Abdul. I can't yeah, wait for losing. Get... Oh man! <laughs> one, one of these days. One I of will these get, days. I will get better. I promise. <laughs> okay. So right. that about wraps it up for us, guys. We want to thank you so much for sticking in and listening to this two-part episode of the Christian soldier podcast um, where we're talking about gotta go, gotta leave because yeah, the first one to leave it as one recording would have been way too long. And so for, for Andres and for Justine, I am Abdullah. And until next time, y'all keep the faith. Peace. The Christian soldier podcast is brought to you by the Christian soldier collective a Jesus-centered community dedicated to the pursuit of unity, cultural and ethnic conciliation and social justice within the church. The Christian Soldier Podcast is a production of the Christian Soldier Collective and Monarch Training and Development.